This is Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, which is part of the Replicate Podcast Network. It is a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. This is part two of Voices of Revival with the Beasley Brothers. If you haven't listened yet, go back and listen to part one as we continue our conversation for these two sons of Manly Beasley and his powerful insight on faith and revival. We know that this, you know, the revival conversation that we're having, as we listen, the more I listen to both you guys, Manly and Jonathan, I'm hearing faith and and I'm hearing uh, the way your father learned about it, lived it to learn about it, and seems to have instilled that in you and really probably all those he came into contact with just seeing what God was doing in his life. And so that connection between faith and revival just seems like it's intrinsic. It's a it's a major part of it. And I think yeah. when I think of faith pre-learning about Manly Beasley and what he's teaching and some of the things pastor is teaching, some of the things you guys have taught and, and thought about and helped others see, it just seems real simple and there's not a lot to it. Okay, faith, you know, believe, believe that God's going to do something. There's so much more to it, the depths of it, and just hearing about how uh, it seems like your father didn't just stop there. He kept pressing in, kept pressing in. That just seems to be a theme throughout all this. Jonathan. Um, let me say one thing before we go to Jonathan. Yeah. Let me, let me say one thing about what, what Manley said earlier. I, prior to God uh, really internally speaking to me about spontaneous baptism, December 15th, two days later, as I sat with the Lord. And again, this is 10 months of tuning my ear to the accent of the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people, uh, I've had pastors push back. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I believe that. And my response is, have you sat for 10 months? And I'm not saying I'm special for 10 months. Or have you sat for 10 days or even 10 minutes? I mean, really. So before you could throw stones, and I was good at throwing stones like guys that experienced things I never did. But when I heard uh, two days later, the number 100, in my head, it's clear as that 100. I started to put the two and two together, spontaneous baptism, 100 spontaneous baptisms, the middle of COVID, we were leading the country in COVID cases, lowest attended Sunday of the year. We told people to stay home if they come wear masks. I mean, everything you could do to put water on the fire before you try to light it. Uh, and then that day we baptized 99 people. And I didn't know about your dad at this point, but God came to me, met with me and showed me this. So when I heard your dad a couple of months later, speak about this, how he would pray. I'd never done this before. Pray specifically for a word from God for an offering. And I want y'all to tell that story in a moment. Pray specifically for a number of people saved. And this just didn't happen once. I mean, this happened multiple times. So I, so here's what's crazy. This is the Lord. So I went to a church called Cross Church in Arkansas, and uh, which is where Jonathan Beasley is. And this is how we met. And this is, Candy told me, my wife told me last night, she said, you realize you turned down the Cross Church opportunity. At first I turned it down because I wasn't traveling with the revival at Long Hollow. But the Holy Spirit convicted me and I called Nick Floyd, the pastor back, and I said, hey, I feel kind of embarrassed. I've never had to ask for an event back that I turned down so I'm asking you to let me come back to the event I turned down, but I really believe God's God wants me to do this, which has never happened to me before. And as I prayed for the event, Chris will tell you, because Chris was with me, uh, the Lord put a number on my heart. This is the, this would be the, the third time, third time on Easter. He did another number, but on third time 
And so this is funny. Chris and I are at dinner. Jonathan and his, exe- I mean, uh, Nick and his executive pastor are at dinner. We're eating dinner and this together. This is the night before, the night before the event. It's the night, the night before, before the event. Sunday, Saturday night, yeah. Yeah, in Manly Beasley fashion. Uh, I wasn't going to say it with him because I thought it's going to freak him out. But, uh, you know, as the Holy Spirit prompts, I, I opened my mouth. So I said, hey, I don't want to freak you guys out. But I'm praying. Now, keep in mind, I've never preached at this church before. I'm preaching the morning service and the men's service at night. This is right after COVID. I mean, they're just starting to get cranked back up. And, uh, you know, what's the chances of this happening other than a miracle? I said, hey, the Lord put in my heart, I'm believing 200 people are going to be baptized tomorrow. Well, Nick almost choked on a steak, I think. <laughs> I don't know if he did that, but he but he looked at me with big eyes and he said, and that's what I love about Nick. He said, let's believe God. Let's do it. Now, even when I said that, I thought, really, Lord, 200 people? That's a lot of people spontaneously baptized for a first-time preacher. And the next day, by God's grace, Jonathan will tell you, it was an outpouring of God's spirit unlike any I've ever been a part of. And by God's grace, we baptized over 200, 211 people. And again, I love how you clarified that, Manly. God, and Chris was a part of that, God confirms and increases our faith. And he still shows us, man, he's speaking today. The question is, are we listening and pressing in, you know? And and Robbie, Robbie, one of the things that was key to that, too, is you remember Manly saying that dad talked about prayer beforehand. Well, our church had been preparing for you by praying specifically beforehand about that. So prayer was mm. was an incredible piece of what took Amen. place with that. And I know how you feel about prayer. So I wanted to make sure to, to put that in there because we had been praying. Lord, we want who you want. We, we want people. We were praying over. We would walk the aisles and pray over each seat that God would do and have people respond that needed to respond. Yeah, here, Robbie. Here's the way. Here's the way Dad looked at these experiences that we're sharing. He felt that that they were so credible because here's several things that happened. One is, if 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 you hadn't gotten a number, but you knew God wanted you to come, so you're obedient. So you knew something good was going to happen. People were praying something good was going to happen. And let's say 31 people got saved uh, or got baptized, whatever. Everybody was said, that's great. That's fabulous. That's that's incredible. Uh, however, God gave you a specific number and it was a number that was big enough where you go, wow, that's kind of a, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily come up with that number on my own. And so God taught you, I can speak to you and you can trust me and I will do what I say. God taught Nick by observing, wow, God spoke to him and God did what he said. We all have to learn to walk in a faith that trusts God for bigger than what we than what we come up with. God's bigger than us. And so God stretches us in these experiences where God will in your future continue to give you a specific word about something. It's to increase your faith. It's to and it's yeah. to help others. So you you have to be gutsy enough to share it with others because you know if what if I say this it doesn't happen I'm gonna look like a goober. Well, that's where that's where we're not walking. And I'm just gonna say this: I'm older than you guys. Yeah, all of you put together Come probably. On. But um, <laughs> uh, I think what we're missing. I think we've got great preachers today. I, I hear a lot of great preachers, young, great preachers. Uh, 
uh, I'm in the same state. Nick and I are on committees together here in the state. And, and, and so he's a young man that I'm around. But I uh, heard you preach uh, last, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, uh, face-to-face. I've, and there are some great young men that are preaching. What we need now is for you guys to experience walking in faith to a point where you start trusting God for things bigger, only things only God can do. Where even you're blown away. Yeah. You know, where you're going. Good. I would have never come up with that. My vision would have never been that great. My and uh but that's a that's a walk, that's a progression. And uh and that's what is exciting to see. And uh and for whatever reason, it's just as humbling, Robbie, for you to say, for you to know and to say, Well, I don't know why God chose to to grace me with this experience. You know, because yeah. he is sovereign. But he and and you cooperated with him, and we cooperate with God by mm-hmm. ten months of solitude and seeking and asking God to do something special. We have to. I don't think we can presume on God that we're gonna that if we don't pray and seek Him that we're gonna hear from Him. We have to. We have to. We have to cooperate with Him in that. But your faith will never be the same. You've already now. You've been pulled into a walk with God that you're not going to ever settle for not hearing for God again, because it's too exciting to hear from him. Yes. And, uh, and that's yes. where I think, I think that's what's going on. That's exciting to me. We say we want revival, but we don't have, we don't have the faith to believe God for revival. So, so God's got to build <laughs> that in men and our, in you guys and me too. I mean, uh, why do we not have a Bible? Well, we have an uncle named Mike Gilchrist. You probably had never heard of him because he was an old timer too. But he used to say, he used to say the reason God doesn't send revival to us is because we don't prepare. We don't act like we're ready to have it. You remember hmm. that old act like, act like something. So in order for it to be so, because God be said, so, it so. yeah, do we, wow. do we, that's good. We're not prepared for revival. So if he said, if God sends it, we'll kill it because we're not prepared for it. We're not prepared to shut everything down and say, we're not leaving this building as long as God's here. You know, that'd mess up our plans. That'd mess up who's going to babysit, who's going to, you know. And uh, so so what I think God's doing, we're saying we want revival. I think he's raising up a new generation of young, godly men who will learn to believe him. And when you start learning to believe him, and he says, I'm going to save, I'm going to, I'm going to baptize 1200 people in the next six months. And you say, come on, Lord, let's do it. Yeah. We're seeing the foundations being laid for revival. In my opinion, when you talk about this walk of faith, that's, opinion. That. Yeah, that's an because, opinion. No, no, I think you're right. I think what's happened today is uh, we have traded an anointing for intellectualism. Yeah. And our preaching today is, I've even heard, I think dad say this and others, a sermon prepared in the head is going to affect the head. Mm-hmm. A sermon birthed in the heart and spirit is going to affect the heart and spirit. And I think so often today we can parse every Greek word. We can get every uh, participle uh, d- described and every word defined and still preach sermons that people say are great and they affect nothing. Uh, yeah. It's more of an intellectual ascent. And granted, the word of God is living and active. It's going to affect people. But like you said, as far as a rhema word from God, where the Holy Spirit's tapping and saying, no, this one's for you. Uh, I think you're right. I think we need more guys with anointing and less guys with seminary degrees, uh, if that's what it's going to take. 
Yeah. Uh, let's talk about his faith journey. Um, Dad, you, you alluded to this. I read in Ron Dunn's biography, I think it was, that he told Dad bye. I mean, he gave Dad his last regards, I think <laughs> five times. I think, I think if I'm at, this is wrong, correct me, but I think he went, and, Ron and his wife went and saw Dad at the hospital and left and said, this is it, we'll never see him again. Not once, but I think like five times. And he said every time, it's like God raised him from the dead again. Uh, talk a little bit about the disease he has, because it wasn't it a muscular issue at first where he couldn't talk and he couldn't move his muscles. Is that right? Yeah, it was all related to something It's a little bigger than me medically called connective tissue. Uh, and so it, he ended up at one point, they actually diagnosed him with seven illnesses, but they were all connected because the, the molecular on the molecular level, uh, uh, he, the disease he had was breaking down, uh, his muscle. You were talking about his muscle, uh, his muscles, his nerves, his, they all began, they began to break down. So he lost, he just lost his muscle, became very skeletal. He didn't have any physical strength. Even he never fully regained that through the years. Uh, so yeah, you're on track there with that. Uh, but but the doctors, basically, he was a totally experimental. They had no solution for his medical problem. Um, essentially, he was on a steroid for 20 years, uh, or various mm -hmm. steroids. Prednisone was the big one that he was always taking. And if you know anything about steroids, that you have to you can't sell them all the time. You have to go up and, and you have to phase off and do it. And so it really affects your, um, I'm going to use the word emotional, uh, you know, you've heard of roid rage and all that kind of stuff. Well, well, there's an aspect of that, that he had to walk through as well. So he had to trust God for a lot of things. And wow. one was to maintain his Christian dignity and behavior, uh, through some very painful experiences in, in life. And, um, uh, yeah, that was a big, that was a, a, a big thing was his physical health and the fact that the doctors kept telling him, we, you really, you know, we're not, we don't, we don't know what we're doing. So, uh, but he got a word from God. Uh, Jonathan yep. can elaborate on that because, uh, uh, you know, he was the closest one to that because he was a young one, but uh, he can tell you about that and how that sustained dad through years and years. Go ahead, John. Well, he, he got a word from God. He was in the hospital. Uh, so he went in the hospital when I was five years old. And uh, most of my life, all I remember is is the is the guy that Manly had just described as more kind of a skeleton and not very not very strong. His muscles had deteriorated. He he would have to have a lot of help getting around. And uh, and so all the things that that um, you would normally get to do with dad. I, I got to do them at a different way because uh, dad physically couldn't do those things. And and so he, the seven diseases, I think three of them were supposedly terminal. And, um, and, and he got a word from the Lord six months after he was diagnosed with all these things that said he would live to see his children's children. Hmm. And, and he got that, that word and he, he, said, Lord, that's what I'm going to stand on. And for six more months, his body continued to deteriorate and, <clears throat> and continued to have problems. But interesting enough, if you like numbers, um, uh, it was the seventh doctor on the seventh floor of the Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas, 
that was the first doctor that came in and said, um, I think I can do something for you, Manly. And so they began this incredible relationship with his doctor, um, which you can read about is just incredible how the Lord used dad in his life and used this doctor to really help dad stay alive in, in different ways from the physical standpoint. And, and dad just claimed that scripture. And that's how all of us and how Manly started this podcast, Robbie, was, was he, he got a word from God. And so that's, that's what he taught us as his kids is to get a word from God and the Holy Spirit will confirm it and, and, and show you. And, and he got a word and he, he, uh, I think he alluded to, he, he thought the word would get him through 10 years or however many grandkids he would have at that point, but he ended up having 20 years. Um, and so I, I'm thankful for that because that, that last 10 years were when I was really, you know, a young adult and understood things. And so that was a great time in my life. So he, he passed away when I was 25 years old. And, um, but the, you know, I, I call my, I call my seminary degree. Um, the last two years of his life, I traveled, uh, with him those last two years. And I call that my seminary. And literally I, and you know, this, our friend, Michael Cat. Michael Cat called me to be his youth pastor in Albany, Georgia at Sherwood Baptist Church. And uh, and I left on a Saturday morning after talking and praying with my dad and got there on Sunday. And when I when I when I was halfway there on Saturday night, my I called my brother Manly and he said, hey, dad's been put in the hospital and literally that next Tuesday while I was flying back, uh, flying back to, uh, go to the hospital, it looked like it was the end, but that looked like it was the end. Uh, however many times in our lives. So it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. what do you think that we weren't used to? And he died two days later. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I think those last years that I got to spend with them were incredible because they shaped me into the man of faith that I am today. Um, and I, and I got to see that. And I think probably, the one thing that was the key for us is, you know, we're talking about the Beasley brothers or the Beasley family with dad. I don't think we're anything special other than the fact that we can either believe what we saw or, or we can dismiss that. And what we saw was a, a, a man's life that his walk and his talk matched what he preached from the pulpit and what he talked to people personally about that matched at home. And we got to see that. I call that the curse and the blessing. The, the, the curse is I got to see that and watch a man of faith who physically was continuing to die. The outer, ver- the outer vessel, according to the scriptural, was the outer vessel was decaying. But man, what was happening inside dad's life was spiritually. I mean, sometimes he, he just walk into a room. He's not supposed to be alive. He'd walk into the room and the presence of God is there. And you, you knew it and you sensed it and, and understood it. And so it was, it was that kind of powerful relationship with the Lord. And that, and that was the curse, but that was also the blessing is because I got to see that that can be done by a man that we can trust yeah. God that way. We can trust God for, well, I heard you quote Kat the other day. We can trust God for the him possibles. Yes. Those are him possible things that only the Lord can yes. do. And that's what we want our explanation of our life to be is, is only God. And that's, 
that's for sure what my dad's life was. Anybody that knew him would just say, godly man, it was only God. I mean, there's only that's the only way from education to be able to preach like he did to him physically being able to continue to travel and, and speak, or, you know, literally around this nation. But even sometimes trips across seas was just it was just a God thing. Yeah, I would say, man, thank you for sharing that. I would say the thing about your dad, I've heard someone say, um, you can mimic some of these other preachers, Ron Dunn, Peter Lord, you can mimic some of their styles and illustrations and notes. It's very difficult to mimic your dad because his life and his experiences were what made his sermon so impactful. I mean, he had these encounters and these experiences that he would share that really would flavor the sermons in a way that you would just say, wow, God can really do that. Uh, let, let me ask you uh, just about stories about dad, because this is one you and I talked about. Dad got to a place where he he would not let people pray over him to be healed. I think I read this and he would say he wouldn't let anybody pray over him because he said he got a word from the Lord. Again, we talked about it. He got a word. He built his life on the word staked it on the word and got progressively worse, wouldn't let anybody pray over him. And and I asked you about this. Why would he not want to be healed? And you said something about the power of God. You remember this, Jonathan, one of y'all badly, one of y'all remember this. You said something to the effect of he rather would be um, ill with an anointing of the Holy Spirit so powerfully on his life than be well without something to that nature. Can you, anybody speak to that? Yeah, Bubba can probably uh, give a little bit more, uh, you know, educational context. I'm going to give it in the context of uh, that, that we spoke about that one day over lunch, Manly and I and, and Dad. And he, uh, he basically said this, and Bubba, you can help me on some of the specifics. But he basically said, I believe that God showed me that I could be healed of all of this physical illness. But. I knew myself, I knew my ego, and I knew how I would preach, and I would have preached from the place of that healing for the rest of my life. I would have preached from that point of healing rather than me asking God to, to just give me the grace and sustain me to where my dependency was on Him so much daily that that was the freshness that I had of a message every day. And that that right there is uh, that right there, Manly, if I'm kind of wrong on that, let me know. But that that's where I see the beauty of what of what dad did is he truly died to self and say, Lord, whatever you want to do. And the Lord sustained him in that. Is that is that accurate, Bubba? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there the, that progressively uh, all of us are called to that walk. It's, it's the, it's the way of the cross. It's a crucified life. Uh, we're all called to it. Uh, we just experience it in different ways. And, um, you know, it could be, he, he, of course, I think Jonathan's trying to run you down the series on adversity. He had yeah. a, he had four sermons on that. And, uh, and basically he concluded that, that God brings us to that place of dependence, either through our health, our wealth, or our family. And he got that from the book of Job. And he said, because Job ultimately was sifted about as thoroughly as anybody we find a record of in scripture. 
And, uh, and yet Job started out blameless. So it doesn't mean you have sin in your life that God brings you through these difficult circumstances. It's that he wants to refine us and make us more usable and bring us to a point like Job where here's Job. God himself said, have you considered Job? He's blameless. And yet then in the end, Job said, said, woe is me. I mean, you know, <laughs> he was humble before God because ultimately it doesn't matter what we can all, we all need to be humble before God and to, and, and to be usable. Brokenness is the, is the condition of the vessel God uses is a broken one. So he understood that side of life too, uh, which is a very biblical truth that we all know the crucified life, the brokenness, the broken vessel. And so he viewed that, that, that broken vessel was, was, um, was the vessel God was going to use. And he didn't want to lose. He was willing. He was a person who was willing to accept a lot of pain in this life and, and things he couldn't do anymore that he loved to do before he no longer had the strength to to go out and fish and hunt and do a lot of the things i mean we'd drag him out there and sit him in a folding chair while we hunted you know so he could have the experience but but he you know he grew up with all that stuff and uh the boys you know we got another brother too and uh uh he's he's out of all all of us he's more the hunter fisherman and so we would put throw dad in a vehicle and drag him out there and put pillows all around him, give him a gun, you know, and let him sit there and try to scare a dove his way or something, you know, and, good. Uh, good. you know, so, uh, but, uh, but those weren't, yeah. those were no longer the things, the joy was being with us. He didn't care anything yeah. more about those things. Yeah. Uh, so hey. he, he sacrificed those things for something more important. Yeah. Go ahead. Chris. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds a lot like Second Corinthians twelve seven through ten, and power and weakness was something that his your father's life just uh, exhibited for everybody, and 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 that alone is powerful. But that, we're, we need to wrap up here. We just have a few minutes left, and so I was wanting you guys, if you could, to just tell us a story um, about your dad and um, just one short story from each of you guys. I'd love to end that way because one of the power, uh, powerful things about this particular podcast is just, um, you know, we're talking about the legacy that your father has left and the impact on his life, but his whole legacy is Christ, you know? And, and so as we're, we're hearing about him, which is so insightful, but we're, I think, drawing closer to who the Lord is because of how your father pointed towards him. But I'd love to just end on that personal note um, if you guys wouldn't mind, and, and uh, either one of you guys can can start, but love to hear just just one story from each of you as we wrap up today. Yeah, I'll I'll start by the so you you know you got a bunch of stories. My mine is probably one of my my biggest steps of faith was I had uh, I had I left Baylor University and transferred to Liberty University and gotten up there and um and and uh and man my my tires on my car were uh were were getting they were getting thin and uh, i had used the blue ridge mountains as a as a good training course to see how fast my car could go so my tires were getting low on the tread and i called dad you know he's the dude you're supposed to call your dad and say hey dad um man i need some new tires hey buddy we 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 can't afford new tires right now that'll be about a month well, dad, I'm, I'm sliding all over the place when it rains and it's about to, you know, snow's about to come up here in Lynchburg. And he goes, well, let me ask you something. Have you, have you prayed about tires? Well, no, dad, I, I called you about tires. 
He said, well, why don't you start praying about tires? I said, all right. And he goes, matter of fact, I'm going to be in Bristol, Tennessee, which is a couple of hours from you. He said, I'll pray about the weather so you can make it over there and you can come hear me preach that weekend. And, uh, and then we'll just see what the Lord wants to do. And he goes, but more than anything, I'll get to see. You. Okay. So I started praying about tires and it was about, it was about two weeks later, uh, that I drove over to Bristol and I, and I'm telling you, it was down to the warning part on the, on the tire tread. And, uh, and I'm excited to spend some time with dad and get to stay with him at the hotel. And, and, uh, and so first morning comes, he's preaching there on the Sunday morning and, uh, and, uh, and he, and he waves to me to come over and see him. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, Hey, this, this fella, I think, uh, needs to talk to you. And I said, well, Hey, my name's Jonathan Beasley. And he introduced himself. He said, listen, he goes, the Lord's been laying on my heart for about two weeks um, that I'm supposed to, that I've got a set of tires and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to, to do something with this set of tires. I own a tire shop in town and I'm looking at my dad, my eyes are getting big. And, uh, and I said, well, I I've been praying for tires. And he wow. said, okay, well, why don't you come down? Why don't you come down to the place? I'll open it up and we'll, uh, we'll get you a set of tires. This on a Sunday. He said, we'll put a set of tires on your deal. I, I said, well, I, that would be incredible. I, I really appreciate it. You know, did all the, the humble Eddie Haskell stuff. And then I looked to my dad and I go like, dad, did you say something to that guy? He goes, son, yep. I didn't say a word to that guy. That guy came up to me. And said, Brother Manley, this is all I know that God told me to do is I'm supposed to give a set of tires to somebody. Wow. So that's my that's my faith legacy story from him teaching me. Wow. Twenty years old, twenty years awesome. old at Liberty University, and I needed a set of tires. Brother, that'll change your life right there. You'll it did. It did. <laughs> Man. What you got, so Manley? Good. Well, um the uh the last seven years of of my dad's life, uh, I worked with him. Well, that's not true. I worked for his ministry for seven years. He, he was, he passed away. And so for three of them, I, uh, transitioned that, uh, out of, out of the office that he had set up. So for four years, uh, I managed his office and, uh, my sister was assisting there. Um, and, um, so I saw all kinds of things that blew my mind just the way he walked with God and trusted God. And we were in Panama city beach, Florida. And I had to go with him everywhere because he couldn't even lift a suitcase at that point. Uh, he was getting close to the end and, uh, he was preaching a, a meeting there at uh, first Baptist church. And, um, on the way there, he said, listen, he said, uh, we need to check with Debbie. He said, I've got a deadline. Uh, I think it was, let's say Tuesday. I don't remember when it was. He said, I've got to have, uh, for this overseas ministry he had, uh, he said, I've got to have $50,000 to put, put some money down on reserving this thing. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, I said 50 grand. He said, yeah. He said, uh, so we need to, we need to call Debbie and find out the Lord's told me he's going to provide it and we need to find out when it is and have her put it in the bank and transfer and all this stuff. And so, um, we get a phone call, uh, Monday. It's the day before it's my sister. 
she's all excited and she uh she's talking to dad on the phone and she says um and he said uh so how much and she's she said a check we got a check in today for five thousand dollars she was all excited and he said no he, he acted puzzled and uh me and the pastor were there with him we were at the table eating lunch and he goes uh, he goes do you have that check with you and she said uh, well it's right over here he said go get it and he said look at it and he said look at it more closely and and i could hear on the other end oh my lord i read that wrong this is a fifty thousand dollar check come on man <laughs> and he had told me two days before he said we got to have fifty thousand dollars god told me he's going to provide it because i've got to put it in this account to pay for this stuff and and i'm telling you i mean you know i it just it just that kind of stuff he, he just it was so more much more casual than we you know mm. we walk through life and man i gotta have you know some tiddly thing that we got well i gotta get the brakes fixed on my car i gotta do this you know and so we gotta manage our money uh but he just believed that god would not allow him to walk in a way mm that he did not consciously have to trust him for something that he didn't have that mm -hmm. to him. That's what faith was. John phrased it earlier, Jonathan, where he said, uh, what do you trust in God for today? That if, if God didn't come through, you're sunk. Well, that's the dramatic way of saying it, but the, the way he walked it, it was, what am I trusting God for today that I don't have that I need, you know, that I need to have Unbelievable. Uh, to operate to function to whatever. Well, for him, it was easy because for him to breathe was trusting God. For him to take a yeah. breath, for him to get out of bed every day was an act. So these other things were like minor things. The things we think are huge, you know, we're looking around. And so that was just one of, I, I could tell you some crazy stories. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah. I just, they, it boggled my mind. And uh, so we're probably running over time now, Chris. But No, I, I think, no. I think you know what's so good about that is what your dad shows all of us, and this is the lesson I think we need to learn, he had a constant, intimate communication with God. I mean, he was talking, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of God. He trusted God for everything, big and small, so that when those big $50,000 items came, he had already developed his faith trust muscle so much. You know, he built this muscle of, of faith up so much that for us, what we do is we never go to God for little things. We only appeal to God for big things. And God's yeah. like, who, who are you again? What, what, what's yeah. your name? You know, I don't know you very well. I was reading, a, um, I was reading a book on faith yesterday called building dynamic faith by Jerry Falwell, uh, Jonathan Falwell, which, uh, perfectly will we'll talk to him soon. Uh, he sent me a whole bunch of books about his dad. We talked about his dad a while back, but anyway, I was reading the book about his dad hearing Duncan Campbell preach for the first time in person. And he said he left like every other per pastor in that room and said, I will not preach again unless I preach like that. I want to preach like that. Such an anointing, such a power on his life. Mm -hmm. He said, then he realized this man had spent a lifetime of sitting with the Lord, depending on the Lord, seeking and pressing into God. And it just got me to think so many of us want the power of God, but we don't want to put in the time with God. Yeah. Don't you agree? That's Amen. it. We, we want to microwave faith. 
We want a supersized Christianity. We want to pay for it. We don't want to put in the time. And so what I hear from your dad is a man who, out of dependency, put in the time with God. And he did some things by all practical purposes that seem miraculous. And it simply was just a man dependent upon the Lord. Uh, where That's can we find information um, about your dad? I mean, I, I know some places, but where would you point people, some resources? What would you say if somebody wants to get started learning from dad, learning about dad? Anley, what you got? You, you, well, you can, my, my email is just Jonathan, uh, Jonathan at connectmen.org. And uh, so that's Jonathan at connectmen.org, or even my church address is Jonathan B at crosschurch.com. So if you have some things that you're wanting resource wise, you can email me at any one of those places and, and I'll, I'll make sure we, we get what we can. Some of it's so outdated, Robbie, that we're, you know, as we've talked to you that we're, we're having to re, you know, reinvent some of it because all of a sudden you've talked so much about dad that people are asking us about stuff that, I mean, has been out of print for years. Um, and even some of the messages, um, sermonindex.com has a lot of his uh, current messages. And, and so we'll, we'll look at the platform that we need to, to try to do that. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll keep people informed through you for a while. Yeah, I think the the, uh, the first place to begin that gives you the big picture of his life and gives you a hint of who he is, is the book by Ron Owens called uh, Mammy Beasley, Man of Revival, uh, or Instrument of Revival, Man of Faith, Instrument of Revival. I think it's the name of it. And uh, you can go online and put that in, Manly Beasley, Man of Faith, Instrument of Revival, and it'll give you uh, Ron Owens' uh, information, and he still keeps those in print. Uh, and so that would be a place if you've never heard of him really or anything to start, because that's kind of the story of his life and some, in a really neat, I, I believe Ron did a, was an anointing. He even has a story about how he did that. It's almost like your, uh, baptism story about how God, he says it was almost like a dream, but he said it was so real that it, it, it kind of spooked him a little bit, um, to write this book. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, that, that would be the place I would start. And then out of that, there's a net network of men and women who have been impacted by him powerfully over the years. And, uh, uh, and so we've given the stuff that's been out of print, we kind of give people, as long as they ask us personally permission to reprint or, or print enough for themselves or their church or their ministry or whatever. So, uh, uh, but we're, we're, we've been thinking, we just, we just waited on God to raise up an interest in those things, uh, to know that he was in timing wise to start re-engaging in some of that. We tried to perpetuate it for a while and, yeah. and we just felt like let's let God raise this thing up. So we're kind of sensing it. Maybe it's time to, to re-engage on some of that. Yeah. Well, there's a definite interest here at long hollow, uh, definitely an interest right now in the country. What's going on. I'd say one thing before I turn it over to Chris, thank you guys obviously for being here. One of the things about Manly Beasley is that the Holy Spirit wore him like a glove. Yeah. And I know no other man that he did that with that I know of uh, to that degree. Well, as uh, always, uh, we, we are very thankful to be able to connect with you guys and giving us your time so generous. And I think a lot of people are going to be blessed by this podcast. If you are listening to the podcast today and you enjoy it, take a moment and text it to a friend. Share it with someone you know. If you don't mind, rate us on wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. 
And until next time, thanks for joining us and bye-bye. Are you struggling with the fatigue of ministry post-COVID? Have you experienced some fruit but hit a plateau in your life or even your church? Could you benefit from a group of like-minded leaders who can help you achieve your God-given potential? Being a church leader is more challenging today than it has ever been, and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier to lead. We now have a whole new set of problems to deal with as church leaders that will require new solutions. With this in mind, we developed the Replicate Collective. This is a close-knit group of church leaders who want to help you and your church unleash your God-given potential. Members of the collective will interact with premier church leaders, men like Will Mancini, David Platt, Pete Scazzaro, and many others. Members of the collective create catalytic clarity for their church and personal lives. They participate in weekly huddles with like-minded church leaders, and you'll get personal coaching from me and the Replicate team. If you're interested in applying to join the collective or simply want to find out more, head over to replicatecollective.com. Replicatecollective.com. We have limited spots, so you want to check it out today. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast. You can receive more free resources to help you make disciples in your home, group, or church by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting our website at replicate.org.